it's just, you know, <clears throat> well, I'll just tell you straight off. Uh, we're accused at the Brian Call for being against the gifts. I don't know any man, and you don't know any man, who suffered more for his belief in the gifts than Dave Hunt. He came out of a cessationist group, the Plymouth Brethren. I mean, they, they, you know, in terms of knowing the Bible and understanding the Bible, but they, did, they were cessationists, and Dave is not, and we are not as a ministry. But after I say that, then when we begin to look for so-called manifestations, um, you know, from my vantage point, from what we've looked at, um, rarely will we find a, a true gift, you know, in, that's being manifested and so on. Not that there aren't, but... Now, as far as, uh, you know, when you mentioned, I'm not quite sure what Jesus speaks me- means, but I'm just guessing here, so, because you did mention Beth Moore. Uh, when we when we looked at the um, Renovare Spiritual Formation Bible, it has to do with contemplative, really mystical Christianity. The whole idea is that, um, well, you know, you evangelicals read the word, you're kind of doctrinal. But we, that is, of the contemplative group, the uh, Renovare, Richard Foster would be a name, Dallas Willard, I hear USC and others, they, they, and the emergent church is heavy into this. It's very much experiential. And there are techniques that go along with it. M- nearly all of the techniques are taken from the so-called desert fathers. This would be the Catholic mystics. Let me tell you one thing about the Catholic mystics, especially the desert fathers. These guys were nuts. Now, why do I say that? Because they lived in caves. They, they you know, I mean, the, see... Part of Roman Catholicism is that you pay your, the penalty for your own sins by self-flagellation, by suffering, by doing all these things, by putting rocks in your, you know, in your sandals. How that works, I don't know. But hair shirts and all of these different kinds of things. The whole idea, it is work salvation. Out of that comes a mystical experience, which, which actually is drawn from Eastern mysticism, Okay. So many of these techniques drawn from Eastern mysticism, but now put a Catholic label on it, would be like, uh, for example, um, Ignatius Loyola. Uh, Many of his techniques, they're purely occultic. They are mind-altering deals. See, the, the, the goal of mysticism is union with God. I don't care whether you call it Catholic or Eastern or whatever, that's the program and so on. So the way to do that is to get yourself into an altered state of consciousness so that you can commune with God. It can even happen under drugs. It can happen, hey, yoga. We could talk yoga for for a whole night here. It's in the church. Um, Meditation, all of these things. The, The game plan is you need to clear your mind. So if Jesus speaks, now again, I haven't heard it phrased that way, but you have Jesus, the Jesus prayer, you have centering prayer, you have all these kinds of things, you have, like you take a word, Tony Campolo promotes this idea, I can't say that I believe he does it, but that's, a, that's another issue, but anyway, he talks about getting up in the morning, and to get himself right, to clear his mind, uh, he repeats Jesus, 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 over and over and over again. And so on. Obviously, the idea is to clear your mind, make it into a blank slate that then God can pour his ideas and his thoughts and so on. What kind of controls do you have there? You know, I mean, number one, I mean, let's come on. Guys, I'm just a simple minded guy. What is prayer? Isn't it communication with God? Isn't it intelligent communication? Um, 
So now I'm going to come up with these prayer techniques. My wife, Peggy, Peggy, my heart, we're lying there in bed. Okay. It's the morning. We wake up and I say, Peggy, 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 Peggy. But that's what's going on. And it's being introduced like it's something else. It's like it's, whoa, this is deeper spirituality. No, this is insanity. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, what does the scripture say? You know, we're, we're not to vain repetitions. I have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I want my communion to be as much as, as intelligent as I can be. Sorry, Lord, but I do want it to be intelligent communication with you. Okay. In the last two books that you mentioned, um, where the out of body or death experiences don't were conflict with scripture, do we write that off as coincidence or is that demonic influence? Well, you see, this is where it becomes very confusing. Um, when I say confusing, I mean, it's not ultimately confusing because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look and detect things that either are um, against the Word of God or they line up with the Word of God. But then, like I did with young Colton, I'd have to say, wait a minute, why did the Holy Spirit hold this off from believers down through the centuries, but now he's, he's delivered it to, to, this, to this young person? You at least have to ask the question. Now, as far as the way the mind works... Nobody knows how the mind works. The brain, you know, there's a difference between the mind and the brain. Okay, the brain is a physiological organism. The most complex organism in the universe. Nobody can tell you how it works. I mean, you know, we've got psychiatrists, we've got, uh, um, well, you know, another field of, many fields of, of medicine that address that. But basically... It's so complex, it's so c- complicated that they really are just kind of feeling their way along. So to begin to ascribe or tell you exactly how something is taking place. Look, I could come to you and I say, man, where do you hear, where do you hear this dream that I had last night? Now, let's say I go to my wife and peg in my heart, her response would be, Did you sneak out and have a pepperoni pizza last night? You see, the point is, there are a lot of things that affect our minds and the way we think and so on. So we're not going to build a a doctrine or even a quote-unquote scientific approach to that because they move out of the realm of science. Why? Again, why would I say that? Because although the brain is a physical organism, there's a ghost that runs that. The mind, it's non-physical. So you can't make a science of that and so on. So I'm not trying to confuse or delude people. All I'm asking is that when something comes along, you say, well, how did this little four-year-old know these things? I can't tell you how he knew, knew those things. But I'm not so much interested in the how as to the what. That's where we line up. It's kind of like a person comes to you with a problem. Do me a favor. Don't ask him why. If you want to minister to them, just find out what it is, and you don't have to go too deep into that. But just line it up with the Word of God. Just say, hey, well, what about this sister? Or what about this brother? And, you know, that's the way we go about it, I think.
Um, are there any dangers in contemplative prayer? I'm not exactly sure what it is. And um, what about Beth Moore Bible studies? Is there something not right with that or her? Diane? Okay. <laughs> I do have short-term memory, but I'm trying to remember people's names. I, I love to do that. Well, you know, kind of as I said, uh, you want to avoid contemplative prayer, uh, Christian mysticism, Renovari. You want to avoid it like the plague because basically there's no basis for it scripturally. It is experiential to the max. You see, we want to get on things like, um, you know, this is kind of a side, but it's really true. There are five of us, and we're, we're having a Bible study, and we're going over a scriptural passage. And uh, when we get to the end of the passage, four of the people say, well, this is the way we see it. And then I say, I don't think so. That's not the way I see it. And I say, okay, Tom, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something called hermeneutics. Big name. All it means is let's take a look at the context of the verse that we're looking at. Okay. Then let's look at, you know, grammar. Let's look at the definition, the, the, the reasonable definition of words. We could get into syntax and so on, but we don't have to go too complicated. But let's just say if we go to context, grammar, the meaning of words, and so on. And I'm listening. See, now what we've done is we've moved from, well, here's the way I feel about this verse. Well, how do you feel? No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about an understanding in an, for an, in an objective basis for how we understand the Word of God. And I'm listening to these four people. Now, unless I've got my heels dug in, unless I'm just being stubborn, but if I really want to know the Word of God and I listen to these four and they give me their reasons, come let us reason together, the Scripture says, okay, I'm going to say, hey, thanks, guys. I just blew it. Now, what was the basis for that? Because we approached it from an objective standpoint of how you understand the Scriptures. You don't have to be a rocket theologian to do this. This is just the way we go about it. You guys probably know the phrase, a text out of context is a pretext. I don't care what cult comes to your door, you know, whatever it might be, but you're always going to get that out of context. So as opposed to feelings and so on, all of the contemplative, Diane, all of the contemplative stuff is wrapped up into into the subjective, the experiential, and so on. Now, I cannot speak to what else Beth Moore is doing. I know her issues regarding the contemplative stuff, which I don't agree with, but you guys got to be Bereans, you know, whoever it might be. You check them out, you, you know, and you come to your inclusion. Because one last thing, and then I'll get to you. Okay, here's a scenario for you. I'm standing before the Lord at the Bema seat, Okay, for rewards. I'm making this up, okay? Uh, and <laughs> I want to be there. Yes, Lord. Uh, and so the Lord says, well, Tom, you know, well done. Now, good, you, you know, you did this and did this. And he said, but Tom, why did you believe such and such? And I think for a minute and I go, Dave, Dave Hunt, Dave. It's not going to happen. I am personally accountable for what I believe and why I believe it. God has raised up wonderful teachers and, and people in our lives and so on. But what they believe is what they believe. What I believe, I'm held accountable for, and I want it to be my faith. If one of our, whoever our sacred cows might be, if we have any of those, 
Once they go south, doctrinally, morally, or something like that, guess where our faith went? South. Yes. What to do for um, Christians that can't find a church that has not been influenced by Rick Warren and his teachings? Mm -hmm. There's many of us that wherever we go, it's there. Yeah. Thank you. That's the most uh, asked question that we get at the Breen Call. It is a dilemma for our time and day. My quick answer is, hey, I'll take this place. I'm, and I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. But some people can't drive four hours, six hours, ten hours, you know, whatever it might be. So the only thing that I can encourage, you keep trying. If you do find a church that sounds like they are fundamental and, even you know, I can't even use evangelical anymore. That word's kind of meaningless. But, but basically, you, you know, you talk to the pastor and you find out where he stands on certain things and so on. And guys, look, we, we got to be way past the uh, the issue of, well, I, I I don't like the you know the music or I you know not not that not that worship isn't a you know isn't an issue, but somehow <laughs> these are tougher times. Let's make the issues tougher that drives us out of a church. Okay, let's move up to to that rank. But basically, if you can't, then you you find some try to find pray find some like minded believers. Start with a Bible study. Start encouraging each other get together with, you know, and things like that. We need fellowship. And I know it's a heartbreak for many of you. I mean, I hear it all the time. But we do what we, we've got to do. We start with a Bible study. We start with, you know, husband and wife. We, we do it in our family. We maybe add somebody, a, you know, a neighbor or whatever, you know, somebody we've witnessed to or brought to the Lord. That's the only way I know about going and go, um, know that we need to go about it. Taking my question, uh, I was wondering if it was true that uh, Greg Laurie pals around with Rick Warren. Well, I don't follow Greg Laurie around, okay? <laughs> but I will say this, because, you know, when you're a leader in the church and you're influencing many thousands, okay, um, you just need to know or check him out. You need to see if he's on the board with Rick Warren or what his involvement is. Uh, you know, have, you have Worship Leader Magazine, which is Chuck Fromm, uh, which is a prime, you know, I won't say, well, it's a major emergent church uh, supportive uh, thing. You've got Rick Warren on his board, of the, you know, on that board. You have Greg Laurie on that board. You certainly had uh, Greg introduce... Rick at a couple of years ago back at the Harvest Crusade and so on. So, um, you know, again, I can't judge Greg's heart, but, but I'm not trying to. But there are certain issues that you say, why, why is this happening? Is this the support of something that... And, and you know, look, Greg is just as accountable as, as I am or anybody else that if I am doing something, you know, we need to be Marines. I need somebody to come up and say, hey, Tom... What about this? And then I need to hold that up to to my life, to to the, what I'm doing in ministry, and see if this is true to the Word of God. So he's personally accountable for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tom, uh, I just want to follow up on something you said earlier. Uh, sure. People should know here. Um, my father was big admirer of this girl, Akina. Akiani. Akiani. 
and he went to her home. It's kind of a Christian uh, tourist trap, but yeah. And it was told that she did that from a photograph. So am I to believe that the person she copied from that photograph looks exactly like Jesus? I don't think so. But I think the, the main problem here is she's an extremely talented young woman, and they're mm -hmm. already making this big star of her. She doesn't need to be made into a big star. I'm, a, I'm an artist. And, mm -hmm. and you, should be a very, you should be very humble and sincere about yeah. that ability that God gives you. Yeah. And, and they've made her this kind of Christian circus. Mm -hmm. But that was from a photograph, not something from her yeah. imagination. But, but she's now, she now is a responsible teenager. And as, the, for example, the quote that I gave, this was at 16 and so on. I've met her dad, okay, I, just by chance. Uh, I was in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And, um, uh, you know, at that point, I didn't know who she was. And, uh, you know, I mentioned to you that I have a, a fine arts degree and so on, and I have appreciation of art. Uh, I don't have an appreciation of biblical art, so-called. Um, but I appreciate the creativity that God has given us. I mean, <laughs> I mean, artists stun me sometimes. I can't talk to them. <laughs> but other than that, so in her particular case, it's more than just... Uh, it could be a young girl who is um, the parents have led her through. I, I don't know the whole situation or the situation. But I do know what she says and what she writes. And these are diametrically opposed to what the Bible teaches. But people are influenced. People are impressed. I mean, her, her talent is extraordinary. Okay. First of all, I'd like to thank you for all the work you've done at the Berean Column. I think your diligence is, is great. Um, um, with that being said, I'd like to know your thoughts on the, the Bible Code and how it relates to prophecy and, and, speci and specifically. You know, um, I don't know what the Bible Code is. You know, we Christians have more trouble with the, the actual words on the page reading them and following them than some kind of code? I mean, that's going to, you know, that's going to impact my life? What? I mean, again, the, the, these are things that are conjured up. Uh, they seem to have a relationship. They seem to have, you know, what I call the wow factor, you know? Never mind the wow factor. I want to know the what factor. What does the Word of God say And Tom... Where is that in your walk with the Lord and so on? So in terms of, you know, Dave and I have written about this. We, we, we've looked at it, but it's like I want to get so far past anything like that because it does not make sense. God says, come, let us reason together. He didn't say, well, um, wait, until you have computers and you can work out all of these mathematical issues to see what I'm really saying. Oh, come on. But it's new, it's novel, it's exciting. But where is it today? Who's promoting it today? Uh, what happened to all those books? They're just a fad that comes along. But, you know, um, we grew up, we grew up. I raised my five kids, Peg and I raised them in uh, Southern California. Peg is the surfing mom, okay? She was just out the other day with her kids. She surfs with her kids and so on. And I used to do it. I don't have time for it anymore. We don't surf in Oregon. The water's too cold and you're just trolling for sharks. So <laughs> there's no need to go there. Um, 
But, but nevertheless, there's a great analogy. These things that come along, they are like waves. I remember sitting out at, you know, off of Santa Monica, just waiting for the sets to come in. A set comes in, it crests, and then it lands on the beach, dropping its debris and all of that stuff, right? And then it draws back. It leaves some there, takes some back with it. And then comes the next set, the wave and wave. So a lot of these things are like, you know, they're, they're like um, uh, trends or, or fads, but they have effect. Just like, you know, I said today, extra biblical information. Some of this stuff sticks with us. Some of this stuff begins, has a start, you lose it for a while, then it comes back in another wave and so on. So the Bible code, you know, we'll probably see it again in some fashion. The, the books will be different. The players will be a bit different. But it's the same thing. God wants us to, to grow in the faith by understanding some esoteric thing that most of these guys can't even figure out. I don't buy it. Okay. Okay. What do you think? Oh, here we go. <laughs> I wanted to know... Um, here, pull the microphone down for yourself. There you, there you go. I wanted to know about uh, Rick Warren and why churches endorse him because he's on the... the, the uh, uh, I'm nervous. That's right. <laughs> the CFR 2006 roster. And he's for uh, globalization, one world religion. I was just wondering why churches endorse him. Well, number one, um, you, you know, if you, you kind of track track Rick from the beginning, um, what a lot of people don't know is that that uh, probably about six years before anybody heard of him outside of Saddleback in, in Orange County. Uh, I wrote about Rick in a program called Celebrate Recovery, which is a 12-steps program derived primarily from AA and so on. But since that time, as he's um, you know gotten more exposure and so on, I mean, he's not on television, he's not on radio, and so it's kind of amazing to see his, his development. But he kind of came through the chute as a, a Baptist pastor and and, uh, you know, he's a likable guy. Um, it seems that way anyway. And uh, so people were just kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt. As, you know, uh, but then when you begin to see him lining up and, and his programs developing, you know, first of all, you could see his rise based upon um, his book called The Purpose Driven Church, which influenced a lot of pastors. And then they got excited because some guy out there was saying the things that they wanted to say but didn't have the anybody know Yiddish, the chutzpah, to, uh, you know, to, to say. And then, of course, then he introduced to them the program of the purpose-driven life, which now was more of an implementation of what he did and so on. The, uh, uh, you know, I can explain to you how he sold 30 million copies of the book. I can break down the marketing program, which is astonishing, and so on. Just on a, another note, make me come back. Um, nobody can explain how the shack sold 
eight million copies during a depressed time in our economy that no Christian publisher would touch with a 10-foot cattle prod that the, because it was so unbelievably bizarre, okay, yet it sold eight, oh, plus, it, because nobody would publish it, it was self-published. Side note on self-publishing. Okay, guy comes up with a great idea. Oh, the Lord put it on my heart. I want to write this book. So he writes the book. Then he needs a publisher. Okay, so for, for $10,000, this guy will publish 5,000 copies uh, and give it to him. But the guy's got no distribution program. So they load, unload the books at his house. They put it in his garage, okay, stuff it in his garage. Three years later, his wife says, I'm sick of having my car outside the garage. Get those books out of here. They take them to the, you know, so he tolls them off to the dump. That is most of the life of self-published books. The Shack sells 8 million copies for a number of years. It's on the New York Times bestseller list. No one can explain that except spiritually. Unbelievable. Going back to Rick. So he's got this program of the, you know, the purpose-driven life. His program was he got the church to sell it. He got these pastors that were interested in, you know, the purpose-driven church to get copies, order copies, give them away. I mean, it was an incredible program and so on. So that's what kind of brought him to the stage. Once, once you reach a point in which you have sold more books in the United States, in America, in the history of American publishing, 30 million copies... You're everywhere. Time Magazine, you know, Obama's got him at his uh, inauguration, just on and on and on. So that's, that's how he got where it was. But now all you need to do is track what he's been into. Oh, wait a minute. How can you be on the, uh, the board of, uh, you know, of uh, the British? Say again. No, I wasn't. That's that's a whole, that's another thing. I'm, I was taking it back to, you know, the Council of Foreign Relations. Who knows what that is and what they're doing and globalization and all of that stuff. And to be honest with you, I, I don't understand any of it. But that wouldn't be the main thing that I would pick with Rick. His ecumenism, all the stuff that you saw up here. Um, this kind of stuff has shown, should show clearly that this man is moving racing away from the word of God. And that's all you need to know. Um, how anybody, you know, I, I could give you 10 other reasons aside from the, you know, Council on Foreign Relations that are problematic to the point and you cannot support biblically one iota. So that's the problem. Okay, Xavier, turn it over to you. Well, we, uh, we hope that it's been helpful for you. And again, the standard is the scriptures, okay? Not experience, not myself, not anybody else. You listen to a pastor, you sit under a pastor, you respect the pastor, you pray for the pastor, as long as he's scriptural. That he expounds that word. Simple triangle. Hermeneutics. Context, historical background, grammar. That's how you find out the intent of that text. Now... We have to find out what it meant to the people that day first. Until we find out what it meant to them first, we cannot make application. That letter was written to the people of Isaiah's day. 
to the people at Corinth or Ephesus. So I have to know what it meant for them. It was written for a specific purpose, with a specific reason in mind, cultural background. With certain language, grammar, the Bible was not written in Spanish, not in English. In Greek, very detailed grammar, all kinds of tenses, very exact. In this hand, I can give you the text in the Bible that might mean two things. All of them mean only one thing in context. Once I find out what it meant to the people of that day, and I've given you exposition, then I give you an illustration, a little window, to nail the main point. Then I give you practical application. Sometimes that application can be straight across the board. Corinthians, chicks with veils. Why? Because there's prostitutes there. They don't wear veils. Okay? You have a temple Aphrodite's. There's a cultural background to that. So to the people of Corinth's day, ladies, put your veil on. I don't want to put a veil on. Well, then shave your head. I don't want to shave my head. Well, then put the veil on. Do I have to apply it to you ladies today? Do we have a temple Aphrodite's here? No. So now I apply it in principle. Ladies, because what was the problem with not wearing the veil? You were disrespecting your head, your husband. Because ladies, whether you like it or not, you were created for the man, not the man for the woman. Now, you're not a sex object. You're not a slave. In fact, you're the icing on the cake. All right? So how do you respect your husband? How do you honor your husband as a Christian woman? By how you dress. How you conduct yourself. How you speak. How you raise your children. How do you run your home? How you're growing spiritually and honoring the Lord. So I make the applications in a, in a spiritual way. It's, it's practical and principle. But I don't teach you to put a stinking veil on. Alright? So you have the same thing that with this Isaiah 9.10. You know, trying to fit it to 9.11. And you have all these things. The code, this and that. Listen, Jesus came to speak to people. To prostitutes, to fishermen, to common people. If you think you need to know Greek and Hebrew to understand the Bible, then I don't understand the Bible either because I don't know Greek or Hebrew, but I've been around long enough and studied long enough to understand certain words. I've used the scholars in that. But listen to me. If you have a good translation, not paraphrase, a good translation from the Greek that's a good manuscript and you do good inductive Bible study, observation, key words, key key phrases, make the visions where they naturally break. Read the book completely over and over again so you understand what the central message is. That book will fall into places and that comes by repetitive reading over and over and over again. And once you do that in whatever language it is, you can know the meaning of that text. Yes, there are some nuggets we can get into the original where you can break it down, but listen to me. You can get to the meaning if you do good inductive Bible studies. And we have many little pamphlets that show you how to do good inductive Bible study. Okay? Step by step. But do not believe all these idiots, for the lack of a better word, that are nothing but deceivers. Paul says, if we, or an angel, preach to you any other gospel, heteros, of a different kind, let him be anathema, the strongest word damnation in the Greek, he says it twice. I follow Jesus, not a man. 
I'll follow a man only as long as he's following Jesus. When that man deviates, if I love him, I confront him, Matthew 18, and ask him to turn. If he doesn't turn, I continue to pray for him. But I will not follow him. So, when people say, well, you guys are too narrow. You guys are too critical. Really? I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father by me. You don't think that's narrow? Either you believe the word of God or you don't. Everybody starts well. Everybody does not finish or finish well. Simple. You ever see a marathon? Majority of them are just to get the t-shirt. People go to church for a lot of different reasons, ladies and gentlemen. If you're in a church that's teaching heresy and all the junk of the immersion church, shame on you. Go find a church that's teaching you the word of God. They don't have a parking lot. I have to walk two blocks. Oh, Jesus went to the cross. You have to walk two blocks. <laughs> wow. But they have these little bathrooms and I got to wait there an hour. Go before you come. <laughs> you know what the problem is? We're spoiled American Christians. We don't know how good we've had it. But by the looks of things, we're going to see how bad we're going to get it. The church has always suffered, ladies and gentlemen. We're an anomaly to it. You better be ground the word of God. Because if not, you will fall away. You will be deceived. You're the sentinel of your own salvation. You're not a robot. When you get to heaven, it won't be by accident. If you get to hell, you'll know it's all your own fault. It's just that simple. And so even in Calvary chapels, there's people that are veering. Somebody asked about Greg Laurie. I don't follow Greg's message. It's right on. I don't follow the evangelism that goes on. Praise God. But I fault him for begging and for manipulating, giving, and for joining with Rick Warren. And even now trying to merge with emerging church leaders. I cannot be one with him. My loyalty is to Jesus Christ, not to any man. I know Greg. Likeable guy. Good friend. I can't go down that route. I won't go down that route. And if you do, then shame on you. Jesus saved you. Not any man. And so, um, we trust you can hear our hearts. Maybe we're rough around the edges sometimes, but hey, that's the way it is. Shortest distance between two points is a straight line. I'm getting older. Jesus is coming. 
I don't have time to mess around. People are going to hell. So let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your grace and love. We love you. We thank you. And Lord, we thank you for just the faithful and godly men you've raised up to keep your church on track and your people throughout the ages. And this is no exception now, Lord. We pray we would be faithful to you, no one else. We pray for your church, Lord. And yet we know that your church is healthy. Your church is sound. Your church is ready for you to come. But not everybody in the church is a church. And so, Lord, help us to call people to repentance. To be faithful friends and confront. That we may continue to see you do the work that only you can do, Lord. Help us be a faithful church, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Thank you very much. We have some, um, they've already got a whole bunch of series of the, of the teachings. If you want to purchase them and they run out, you can order them. He's got great stuff back there in the books. Get good material. All good material you're not going to find in, in, in many Christian um, bookstores, okay? You got a bunch of junk. All the old good, good guys, they don't publish anymore. You know what's a good thing about reading dead people? They can't contradict themselves. They can't change their mind. God bless you.